Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Labor Days. As you can see, and as you probably well imagine, your boy doesn't take Labor Day off because there are so many different games to react to. I'm not sure if the starting 11 is up yet on Outkick, but it will be soon. Uh, Right off the top, 12-0 start to gambling. One of the greatest runs. I hope you guys were on it with us this weekend. One of the greatest runs you will ever see. 12 up, 12 wins. But then things just went awry and I blame Penn State. Penn State scored with six seconds left running a hurry-up offense to cover And from there, everything went awry, including last night when with Brian Kelly not taking any timeouts at all, Florida State went for the jugular. They had an ability to just take two knees. The game would have been over. Instead, they scored to go up 45-17, guaranteeing the overhit and keeping us from going 3-0 on the blood bank guarantee. Instead, we went to 2-1. Two and one in those games. We'll get to all those uh, in the near future. But let's go ahead and start here with an absolute beatdown put on by Florida State over LSU. 31 unanswered. This was a statement win for Mike Norvell and the Florida State Seminoles. I picked them to be in the college football playoff as my two seed but I did not think that they would take it to a completely different level in the second half like they did. Uh, Now, we've got the game on the road, Florida State does, against Clemson. If they win that game, I think the Seminoles are going to be in the playoff. Florida State's back. I'm calling it. Jordan Travis is elite. The amount of talent. Jared Verse is going to be, I think, a first-rounder at defensive end. Can put pressure like crazy. Florida State's back. Um... What's going on? So that, that's the big takeaway on Florida State. I mean, I just think they're back. Uh, I've got Florida State as the number one team in the OutKick top 10 power rankings. You get a rewarded for winning major Power 5 conference games against elite competition. I rank only based on the on-the-field results. I've got Florida State as the number one team in the nation. What about LSU, though? Brian Kelly now at LSU. The big knock on Kelly was, yes, he wins a lot, but he can never win big games. And that is why he left Notre Dame. I think he acknowledged in many ways that attack upon him that Notre Dame would get itself into big games and then there would be a talent differential and they would lose. Look at what's happened so far with Brian Kelly at LSU. Now, I think LSU fans who are losing their minds and demanding that Brian Kelly be fired today, it is an ominous beating. Here's what I would say makes me nervous. Losing, 
happens to everybody, right? But really good teams and really well-coached teams in college football don't typically get blown out. Brian Kelly loses by 27 last October at home to Tennessee. That was a beatdown. Brian Kelly gets wrecked in the SEC championship game by Georgia, gives up 50. That was a real beatdown. LSU, basically, they were down by 21, I think, on the road against Texas A&M. The Aggies rose up and really put a beatdown on LSU. And now last night's win by Florida State. Three by 20-plus, almost four by 20-plus of the losses that LSU has taken. That makes me a bit concerned. I know we're only in year two. It's not just the losses. It's getting beaten solidly like Brian Kelly has been so far at LSU. I think you have to factor that in so far in terms of how all of this is going to shake down. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, my 15-year-old is texting me from downstairs right now. And, uh, and we've also got a new, the new game of Madden, and all the boys are out of school, and they're fighting over who gets to play Madden right now. So if by chance you hear screaming in the background, I promise my kids are okay, they're just fighting over who gets to play Madden the most. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm going to have to go down here in a moment and, uh, and play dad and shepherd uh, the amount of Madden playing. Madden 24, I guess we're on, uh, that the Travis boys are allowed to have and who gets to play first and whose team gets to find first and all these different things uh, for those of you who are not gamers. Uh, it's a big part of what uh, dad does on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so, huge win for FSU. I have them number one overall. I would be a bit scared if I were, sorry, FSU fan, number one overall. If I'm an LSU fan, I'm a bit scared over those four losses, which have all been real beatdowns. Again, Alabama, and I know Nick Saban's been there a long time, but when Alabama loses, it isn't by 20-plus. It's because Tennessee makes a last-second field goal. It's because LSU scores on the last play of the game. They tend to be really close in the outcome if you have an elite coach and an elite team. That's what LSU aspires to. I thought that was a true beatdown. Speaking of beatdowns, Mac Brown is the only coach, evidently, anywhere that can win at North Carolina. They won with him. He left. They couldn't win. They floundered for years. Now they're back. This is a big win over South Carolina for UNC. UNC is back to playing at the absolute top of uh, the ACC. Again, the only real time they did it before was when Mac Brown was their coach. He's not too old. He is winning. The players seem to love him. He's put in place a good system. There was nothing flukish about that victory over South Carolina. Now, Shane Beamer's team finished last year on a real roll, got the big win uh, over Clemson, monster win over Tennessee, Spencer Rattler seemed like he was coming together. Uh, The game that happened on Saturday night, the issue was pretty straightforward. South Carolina couldn't run the football. And South Carolina couldn't run the football. As a result, all of the pressure was on Spencer Rattler. Uh, North Carolina had more success on the line of scrimmage. That's typically going to be who wins the football game. Uh, And so what stood out to me was Mack Brown. Look, Drake May may be the best, I think, early prediction. Number one overall pick this year. I don't think it's crazy, uh, and I think you guys expect it. Uh, We're going to see Caleb Williams go number one overall. 
and it already feels, USC, by the way, 2-0 and on the season, it already feels like the Arizona Cardinals are tanking for Caleb Williams. Uh, I think he's going to be a really, really good player in the NFL, uh, but I think he's going to be number one overall. May's going to be number one overall in the 2025 class, uh, draft class, right? I'm doing the math there right, I think, correct. Uh, 2025, the draft that'll happen in April or May or 2025, I think May is going to go number one overall. Um, and so I think you're going to go Caleb Williams. I think you're going to go Drake May. Um, and those guys are uh, performing and playing at a level, frankly, that very few quarterbacks in America can. Now, there's always possible possibility somebody else surges back up the board. Uh, but when I watch both those guys play, I think this is where we are headed. Uh, that is going to be uh, the next uh, number one. Uh, the next number one pick, 2024 and 2025. Early prediction, flag it, grab it. Number one this year in 24 is going to be Caleb Williams. Number one in 25 is going to be Drake May. Uh, so UNC gets the win. Drake May, if he continues to play like this and they surround him with talent, uh, UNC could uh, be a top 10 caliber team. They could be up there where they challenge Clemson and Florida State, who we know have been at the top of the ACC for a long time. One elite quarterback can make a tremendous difference like that. I think, like I said, Florida State going to win the ACC this year. Uh, But UNC, if May starts to have a surrounding cast, could be really, really impressive. Uh, Tennessee. I was at this game, went and watched Tennessee, Virginia in person, sold out Nissan Stadium, I think it's called now. I can barely even keep track of all the different names the Titan Stadium has had. Uh, All orange, UVA fans didn't even bother to travel. It's interesting. Uh, Tennessee really kicked the tires in an aggressive way on Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator at Clemson. I would be troubled based on the offensive performance that I saw from Virginia uh, on Saturday. Tony Elliott's team does not look very good, and they don't look like they're going to be very good anytime soon. And schematically, it didn't seem like they had a lot going on because the Tennessee defense has shown up in a big way uh, Pierce, put that name, James Pierce, in your back pocket. Double sacks. I think he's going to be a double-digit sack guy this year. He reminds me a little bit of Leonard Little coming off the edge uh, for old-school Tennessee fans. Just a freak athlete, only a sophomore, going to perform at an elite level. He has first-round level talent uh, on the defensive line. If he continues to work, get bigger, faster, and stronger. This Tennessee defense a lot better. Joe Milton... One drop pass should have been an 80-plus yard touchdown. Uh, That would have made the numbers look better. But you know things are going pretty well when the offense scores 49 and people say they didn't look very good. Ran the ball really well for 250-plus. Remember, Tennessee runs the ball more under Josh Heupel than a lot of people recognize. Runs it a lot more than they throw it. It's what opens up the downfield passing game. Uh, Milton with two rushing, two passing touchdowns, four overall. Uh, It's going to come down to Florida, right? Tennessee's got to go on the road and win in Gainesville. Florida has been a house of horrors. The Swamp has in particular. Tennessee has not won there since 05. It has been a very, very long time. It has been a, uh, like I said, a tremendous home field advantage for the Swamp. If Tennessee can win there, I have this in the starting 11. Tennessee has not been 5-0. This is a crazy stat for you. Tennessee has not been 5-0 in back-to-back years. Think about this for a minute. In my life. I am 44 years old. Tennessee has not been 5-0 and 
in back-to-back years in my entire life. If Tennessee in two weeks can go on the road, beat Florida, they should be 5-0 and for Texas A&M coming to town. Josh Heupel's team is for real. I think if you're an honest Tennessee fan, best-case scenario this year, what you'd like to be is 9-1 and with Georgia coming to town, knowing that basically you're playing for the SEC East in Knoxville. Uh, that is, I think, apex-level success would be 9-1 and one, uh, this year with Georgia coming to town and a chance to play for, uh, the, uh, for the SEC East title in Knoxville. Georgia, obviously, big fan, uh, big, big favorite in every game. That's, on paper, the toughest game that Georgia has this year. How about Dion? I love Dion. I want to make sure that I give a, ta- a shout-out to Shadour Sanders, over 500 yards passing, Dion's son, four passing touchdowns, and Travis Hunter. I flagged this from, uh, let me make sure I get the credit right here. Uh, I flagged this from, uh, I believe this is the, let me see, uh, the, the, the film analysis uh, from one of the C college football film uh, crews. So I'm citing them, but I screenshotted it. Travis Hunter played 145 total snaps, had 11 catches for 119 yards on offense, cornerback, nine targets, three catches allowed, one INT, three pass breakups. He played 145 total snaps. No NFL wide receiver or cornerback played more than 101 snaps all of last season. This was a 100-degree temperature. Big win for Deion Sanders on the road against TCU. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, let me say this. I love the swagger with which Dion conducts himself. He is a lot of fun to watch. I think he makes college football way better. My only thing on Dion would be this. After the game, he called out people who didn't believe in him. I love all of that. But he also tried to make it on some level a racial angle. And then you had the Jamel Hills of the world start to pour in and say, oh, Dion's being treated in a racist fashion. No, he isn't, okay? I would implore you, Dion, just be entertaining and dominate, but understand that criticism comes to outspoken coaches. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. Most college coaches do not speak out in an aggressive fashion. They try and stay under the radar because they don't want to give bulletin board material to the opponent. Oh, by the way, how about what happened with Brian Kelly, where you can argue LSU allowed 45 points against Florida State, most allowed in a season opener by an AP top five team since 1936. One reason that FSU seems so fired up is Brian Kelly talked a little bit of trash on behalf of LSU going into this game. Most coaches don't want to give bulletin board material to the opponents. But the Jamel Hills of the world now 
have decided that the reason why Deion Sanders is such a flashpoint is because of his race. It's not true. Deion Sanders is a flashpoint because he coaches and carries himself in a manner that is very different than most coaches. I'll give you two examples of coaches that have done this in the past who are white, who have been treated very different. Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier is, I believe, the cockiest college football coach that I have seen in my life as a college football fan. Nobody talked more trash than Steve Spurrier. Nobody was brasher than Steve Spurrier on the sideline, and he changed the way the game was played in the SEC. The fun and gun was revolutionary, okay? Nobody, uh, SEC football was three yards and a cloud of dust. Steve Spurrier came in, started throwing the football all over the field. A lot of different teams began to emulate him, but he was an absolute flashpoint. He spoke out a lot. He was brash. The media paid a lot of attention to him. I still think one of the funniest lines of all time uh, was uh, Spurrier went after Tennessee aggressively. And I say this as a big Tennessee fan. He said, you can't spell UT without citrus. Pretty funny. Uh, The citrus bowl, of course. Uh, He also said uh, Tennessee wanted to be national champions. I still remember him going out on the rubber chicken circuit, as it were, and saying that uh, uh, Tennessee was the Knox County champions because one year they lost to Vanderbilt as well. Uh, And so he did a big thing about Tennessee not winning the SEC East, not winning the national championship, not even winning the state championship, but that they were the Knox County champions. I think it was back in like 2005 or thereabouts. It was a hell of a line from Spurrier, all right? Um, Also, by the way, last game Steve Spurrier coached, uh, in uh, um, in college football at the Gators was a win by Tennessee, by the way. 2001, one of my most enjoyable games down in the swamp that I've ever seen. All right, I bring that up. Steve Spurrier, relentlessly attacked by many in the media. Huge focal point. You got to win at a high level if you talk trash. Another guy, Lane Kiffin. When Lane Kiffin came in to college football, He was super brash. He was super opinionated. He was a lightning rod. Go back and look at everything that was said about Lane Kiffin when he was the head coach at Tennessee, when he was the head coach at USC, heck, when he was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. Lane Kiffin was brash, and he was attacked, and he was written about. My point here is scrutiny when you are cocky increases And it has nothing to do with you other than the way that you carry yourself relative to other coaches. The perception and the attention brings with it criticism. So I think that Deion Sanders is phenomenal for uh, college football. If I'm a Colorado Buffalo fan, I am walking on air after that win over TCU. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen this weekend against Nebraska. And then down the road, I think you got Colorado State, then you got Oregon, then you got SC. We're going to find out a lot about Colorado over the next few weeks. But do not make this and the criticism and the attention raining down upon you, in my opinion, anything than what it is, which is brash outspoken coaches, Steve Spurrier, Lane Kiffin, now Deion Sanders. I'm sure there are other coaches you guys can speak to. Those are just two that immediately came to mind. 
the expectations are ratcheted up when you talk trash. And so you better deliver. Just FYI, worth paying attention uh, to that. But I think Dion is great for college football. By the way, they have changed the rules for college football. And a lot of people are unhappy. They're running the clock now on first downs. It doesn't seem to me that the games have gotten any faster as a result, although there's fewer on-field play. Let me tell you, I have hammered this for years. I'm going to keep hammering it. If you want to make college football games shorter, every NFL game, for instance, basically is three hours. If you want to get it to where college football games are roughly three hours, here's how you can do it. One, Have fewer commercials and charge more for them. Scarcity should make a product cost more. You could cut in half the number of college football uh, uh, advertisements, in my opinion, charge twice as much for them, and people would watch more. All right? That has been my argument for a long time. Why do we need to see the same commercials over and over again? Play half as many commercials, charge twice as much. The scarcity makes them more valuable. Two, stop having the marching bands on the field. I don't know why everybody's afraid to just say this. College football halftimes are way too long. And the reason why college football halftimes are way too long, roughly twice as long as NFL halftimes, is because the band comes out and marches on the field. I don't care about watching the band. I don't. Maybe you are a huge band proponent. If you are, go watch the band. I don't know why the band gets mixed in with the football team. All right? Why can't the band just play in their seats like they do the whole game? Why do we need the band to march around on the field? If you truly love the band, have them play before or after the game as opposed to middle of the game when all of us have to stand there and sit around and sweat our balls off when it's 180 degrees and the band is out there walking around with their big tubas and their, you know, uh, xylophones or whatever the hell else they got. I'm not a band guy, all right? You can be diehard band guys. I don't care about the hats. I don't care about the uniforms during the game, okay? Not a big deal to me. If you want to make the game shorter, don't have the bands march on the field at halftime. You could cut halftime down to like 10 or 12 minutes, and then you have the ability to actually not have the band making the games last 10 to 12 more minutes. Boom. I solved two major issues for you. That is what I do. I solve problems. Um, This ESPN charter issue, I'm going to write about it, I think, this week. It's not going away. 15 million people, major ESPN issues going forward. Uh, I wrote about it a little bit in the starting 11, but this is important. Um, It is going to be, I think, an issue Uh, four years ahead. If it's not this particular issue, it's going to happen elsewhere. Uh, All right, let me give you my outkick top 10, all right? I'm going to give you my outkick top 10. And then this is going to get clipped and it's going to get shared and I encourage all of you to go read uh, what I said in my outkick top 10 because I do it every single year And every single year, people don't seem to understand how exactly I am breaking down the top 10. So let me make it as clear as I possibly can. I only rank based on games that have taken place. 
I'm not ranking teams based on what I expect to see from them. I am ranking them based on what we have actually seen. And with that in mind, my national top 10, I give credence to wins over Power 5 conference teams because in general, Power 5 conference teams are better than non-Power 5 conference teams. And I give even more benefit for road neutral wins. With that in mind, Florida State Seminoles, number one team in college football out of week one for me. Second spot, North Carolina Tar Heels. Big win over South Carolina. Neutral site in Charlotte. Drake May looked fantastic. Mac Brown has got the team rolling. Third spot, Utah. Gets the win over Florida. They weren't perfect. I talked about this a lot on Friday's Outkick the Show. I have got uh, Utah in the third spot. Colorado beats TCU on the road. The Buffaloes, I am sliding in at number four overall on the Outkick top ten. In the five spot, University of Tennessee Volunteers. They beat Virginia Neutral site, in theory, in Nashville. I've got Tennessee at five. Comfortable, easy win. Penn State, late cover wasn't my favorite, but I have got Penn State sliding in at number six overall uh, with the win over West Virginia. Ohio State on the road, a win over Indiana. Did not think that Ohio State looked very good at the quarterback position. Jalen Milrow looked better for Alabama than Ohio State did at the quarterback position. I think Aller for Penn State is the best, potentially, best ceiling of all of the Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State scenario. But you go on the road, you win by double digits against a conference opponent. I've got Ohio State at seven. Minnesota survives against Nebraska. I've got them at eight. Uh, Fresno State gets the big win. I've got them at nine. And then Louisville beats uh, Georgia Tech. I have got them at 10 overall. That is my outkick, top 10, as you break all of it down. Um, As I mentioned earlier, lots of new quarterbacks being broken in. Uh, Should we be nervous at Alabama? I don't think so. Although, this Texas matchup is going to be fascinating. Bit nervous I would be at Ohio State because of the uh, scenario with J.J. Anderson at Michigan and with Aller at Penn State. I think that both of those schools are stronger at the quarterback position than the Buckeyes are right now. Now, I like Marvin Harrison. I like Carnell Tate. The talent at wide receiver for Ohio State is off the charts, but I'm not sure that the quarterback position play is off the charts. Should you be nervous? Uh, You got Florida getting beaten. Uh, You got uh, South Carolina getting beaten. And you also had LSU going down. Three SEC losses in the opening weekend. Well, let's give a scenario here. We'll see what happens with Texas and Alabama. Uh, We'll see what happens with Texas A&M and Miami. Uh, Those games, I think, will go a long way towards showing you what about the top level of the conference of the SEC is. Uh, I expected Florida not to look very good this year. They didn't look very good. Uh, South Carolina playing uh, not that great. And uh, LSU playing not that great. Both of those games surprised me in those performances. Not only that those teams lost, because anybody can lose an early season game, but the method and manner in which both lost by double digits. Okay, 
I think that is all that I have written down right now uh, to, uh, to, to break down for all of you. It is Labor Day. I appreciate all of you hanging out with me. I'll be back uh, with Clay and Buck, with Outkick the Show. Go buy American Playbook if you haven't already. This has been Outkick the Show.